This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, and I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I am in Norman, Oklahoma. God, that still seems weird to say. Uh, <laughs> You've been there a little while. <laughs> I know. It's just not... I never thought I'd be saying that. Uh, you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 17th, episode 2458, brought to you by State Line Tech. Good morning, Horse World. Everybody up, rise and shine. It's a new day. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Here we can go again. Oh, and away we go. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Jamie, I have what? a special surprise for you this morning. Uh-oh. Did you see who our veterinary guest is going to be? Oh, my gosh. Can I just tell you? How excited I am to talk <laughs> to Dr. Jones. I mean, it's been forever, and she was right there at the beginning. I found out, Glenn, she was on our show in the second month. We started in November 2010. She, her first episode was December 15th, 2010. So for new listeners, for longtime listeners, you're going to know exactly who Dr. Jones was, because she came on every Wednesday with us, just about every Wednesday for years. 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 And then she got sick of us and moved on. But Or uh, the horse.com got sick of us. <laughs> but then, uh, but for new listeners, she was, a, we didn't have a rotating, we really didn't have rotating guests back then as far as vets are concerned on Wednesdays. We had Dr. Jones because she came, th thehorse.com was our sponsor back then. And we worked with them on getting a veterinary guest and Dr. Jones was the one and we loved her so much. We, she just would come on every Wednesday and put up with our crap. If you go back and listen to the show, like the first one, you will realize what terrible sound quality we had back then. So don't <laughs> judge. That was just the only way we could have a live podcast was to, to use this yeah, tremendously we were a little ahead of the curve audio. on that. <laughs> so. Yeah, nobody was doing it. This company was like, well, I can figure it out. And it sounds like we're on talk AM radio from 1942. And, and you were just outside the range of the radio station. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. People would go, what do you do for a living? And I would, I had nothing. I'm out of work right now because I didn't want anybody to listen. It was embarrassing. And now here we are. I remember the first time, Glenn, that we ever had 100 listeners. We had 100 live listeners to one show and we were so excited. I know, we were so excited that I'm anybody excited. was listening. But <laughs> I can't believe anybody listens now. So what are we talking about? I'm still excited. Anyway, yes, Dr. Jones is going to come on. Who else? It's another special guest today. Too. Yeah, so we've been prom promising you Stanford Moore from Black Rains Magazine, who, who they come on once a month and have for the last couple of years on our show. But he's been so busy doing interviews since, uh, since all of this has started to happen. But today he's coming on with us. He loves coming on the show, so he's going to stop by and talk about diversity in the horse world and all the interviews he's been doing in the last couple of weeks. And as I said, the Horse Nutrition Podcast health segment is Dr. Denny Jones, and she's going to be talking about navicular bursitis. 
I have no clue, but that's why she's coming on because she's going to give us a clue. And it's then, just something else to worry about. I, I, that's one I don't know that we've ever talked about before. And then the Chicory Wealth financial segment, we address methods of giving money to your heirs. All of that on today's show. Ooh, can I send that to people? <laughs> yes, send that to your dad uh, and your mom. That's the one you want to give that to. And then uh, also uh, we have other, we talked about some news on Monday regarding whip use and racing and you have an update. I do. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Kentucky is joining California and restricting the use of whips. However, it's not likely to go into effect until next season. And these new rules would limit riders to six uses of the whip. All right, get a pen. Jockeys, <laughs> <laughs> write this down. Limit riders to the six uses of the whip after the first furlong is run with no more than two strikes in succession without giving the horse an opportunity to respond. And it would also allow riders to use the whip to, quote, avoid a dangerous dangerous situation that may harm another horse or rider with the stewards being blah, blah, blah. At least it's a start. It's a start. The, this just goes to prove it's it's similar, but not exactly like the one in California. They no. really need to make this a entire country thing so that, uh, you know, I will feel bad for the jockeys as they're going to ride at a different track and going, okay, what do I have to remember at this track? And it, it does become it becomes muscle memory, right? What you're doing. So for them to have to adjust that every state they go into is going to be different. I can see that I'd be on the jockey side and arguing that's not good. Yeah. So you know what they could do to fix all of it? It's I just, I don't know. Get rid of the whip. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> so it makes no sense to hit a horse while it's running as fast as it possibly can. Okay. Sorry. Carrying on. <laughs> I do not- think though that a uniform policy across the country would be a better approach. <laughs> but we're getting somewhere. At least now it's starting to happen. In hey, man, states. this Kentucky, we got states' rights, okay? We can do whatever <laughs> we want in Kentucky because hey, it's Kentucky. I'm shocked don't need to Kentucky's number two on this, actually. I think that the racing industry is finally waking up and realizing they've got to do something to improve the visuals here. We got to follow them hippies in California yeah. <laughs> and start limiting some some whip hitting. And we both lived in Lexington, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we know what it's like to live there. Yeah. All right, let's do some Daily Wendy's before we get in total trouble here. <laughs> All right, my Daily Winnie is a big congratulations. The first one to Auditor Rosie and her new baby. She had a new, brand new, very cute baby. So congratulations, Rosie. Rosie has a few kids. When we she came down and visited us, her son was maybe 10 or 11, and that so he's got to be 16 or 17 now. I think so. the same time she had the baby, her son graduated high school. I'm so like, good luck go with that, girl. Rosie. <laughs> You have a journey ahead of you, but um, I am jealous because the baby was only six pounds. And like, that seems unfair. Can you imagine when Lucas is 16, 17, starting over? That I need you to <laughs> take that back. Clack, slap yourself in the left side of your face right now. Okay, okay well, let's move on. Never, ever. Happy birthday to Auditor Robin Donahue, our only birthday for uh, from Texas and a fellow cruiser and her daughters were along. I miss them. Tell them I miss them, Robin. We had so much fun on the cruise. So we're looking forward to seeing you guys again someday when we're all allowed out. But uh, your turn. 
Daily Winnie goes to uh, y'all know that I have a horse, uh, a dog. All my dogs are. We named know you after have a horse horses. too, but uh, uh, yeah, I have horses. But all my dogs are named after racehorses. And Zinata, she is a border collie looking. She's an English Shepherd, which is like an American version of a border collie, right? So she has. She's such a good family dog. She was great with Lucas as a baby. But since we've moved from Arizona to Oklahoma, there's something that she just doesn't understand. And she just doesn't understand why there are little things that look just like her running around in the fields. And she runs up to them. And again, she's colored like a border collie. So she runs up to like friend. And then she runs up to it and gets sprayed in the face by what isn't. I, she just doesn't understand what a skunk is, but <laughs> I mean, three times in the past three weeks, uh, this dog has been blasted and she is a long haired border collie and she hates being dirty. She hates getting a bath. She hates everything else. So it is a, it's a battle to <laughs> bathe this dog. And of course you have to get him in the face and like, I got that nature's miracle stuff, which is legit miracle. It's amazing. Um, thanks to the listeners for letting me know about that awesome product because I just had to buy my third bottle and it's on the way from Amazon. So, uh, what are you using? Rate, it's called Nature's Miracle, and oh, it's yeah. some sort of nature miracle. They <laughs> sell uh, they it. sell all other kinds of products too, like for getting pea smell out of your carpet and all that. Well, let me tell you, I got to tell you that something good came out of this dog spray in the face by a skunk for the third time in three weeks because yesterday Chad was out mowing and he found the skunk and Zinni had killed it. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. She killed it. She, I'm like... She finally got really mad. <laughs> I'm, I'm oddly proud and I'm oddly frightened that she did that. I don't know how to feel about it, but the fact that there's one less skunk out there because we have... We have a problem, and I don't know if it's just this one that's been a problem. Now the problem is my entire like pasture smells like skunk because there's just it it's just got everywhere. It's like <laughs> when somebody hits one with their car and you drive by six months later and you're like, oh my god, somebody hit a skunk. There's no way to good way to get rid of a skunk. You can catch them in the trap, but when you go to pick up the trap, you're getting sprayed. There's no, just the, no good way. It. You can't. <laughs> I called somebody and to find out, and they were like, "All right, here's how it's gonna go. We we charge a hundred dollars. Well, we charge you eighty five dollars just to come out for the first time. We'll set some traps, and then after that, what's gonna happen is we catch when we charge a hundred dollars a skunk. Yeah, because so it's every, a pain in the ass. <laughs> every skunk we catch, we don't charge you another hundred, and then we charge eighty five dollars to come on out. And I'm like, what is this? I mean, we have, we might have three thousand here. I don't know. I'm like, how? And apparently, there's a magical way that you take. Well, what you got to do is you pick up a blanket and you walk towards the skunk, and they won't spray the blanket coming at them. And then you throw the blanket over them, and then you put them in the back of your truck. Oh yeah, and that that out. can't go wrong. Any and which I was way. Like, <laughs> You still have to open the trap. And he goes, don't peek in there underneath that blanket because they'll get you. They'll get you. They know when you come in. I'm like, what is that? Okay, you know what? It might be worth $3,000. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I didn't hire him. <laughs> you just got Zenny on the job. That's I've got Zenny on the job. Way to go, girl. She's Thank just you. doing what she was trained to do, and she really got pissed that she got squirted again. She's like, that's it. That's I'm done with you. I just, the high prayed protected I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, there's, I've been well, given lots of reasons. There is one that. good thing. 
like most dogs, they like to bring their quarry back and show you. She at least didn't do that. Uh, no, she did not. I think she, she I think she probably just uh, like ran into it or something. I mean, <laughs> there was no blood on her. There was no like tussle. I think she just sprinted after it, saw it, bam, hit it and probably like broke its neck. That's probably what happened. And it, and as she hit <laughs> so it, so did he bury her. the skunk to get rid of it? You know what? We haven't talked about that yet. I do know that there was a large population of buzzards out in my pasture. <laughs> well, maybe so it's I'm... gone. Sometimes I just pick it up and carry it away. Pretty sure it's too late for that. That Glenn. just shows you how, what's... <laughs> I mean, buzzards can sense. They can smell that, they say, from like two, three miles away. They can smell carrion from a long way away. Yet their noses animals. are not bothered by the other smell that this guy puts out. I don't get it. I, 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 I'm sorry. I still contend that those are the most incredible creatures on the planet like they're just such amazing birds i find that people think they're gross i'm like they're awesome their face is designed to not have things stick to it when they put their face in dead animal bodies <laughs> and we and apologize for anybody eating apart. right now we're gonna continue we're gonna move on let's just I'm move on buzzard. that's what we're talking <laughs> cheers everybody <laughs> we have about we have about uh we have about we only have a couple of minutes uh, do you have time for your list or you want to you want to do something yeah, we else? can do this because okay. i got to zip through it because this is so cool. It's 22. I hope Chad's not listening because he might be getting some things on this list. I don't know. Because... I looked at the list. I really don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> this list comes from the Huffington Post and it's 22 weird Father's Day gifts. Is that, that this your... weekend? Yeah, it's Sunday. Yeah, okay. Your dad wants more than what you're actually going to give him. So basically they're like, return the crap you bought. He doesn't want to tie and get him something like this. By the okay, way, the... we don't wear ties anymore. Just throwing that out there. Most you of us don't. do not. No. Your well, husband does, airline, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. But does he pilot. have a like a, a regular tie? He has to wear like a, a formal uh, uniform tie? Yes, but at Christmas, he got to wear a Santa tie. <laughs> 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 that man has gone to work every day of his life in a uniform. It just it, it, it makes God. no sense to me. Last time I um, tied a tie was on the cruise on formal night, and it took me like 45 attempts to remember how to tie the tie. Jennifer's like, turn around. I know how to do a, 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 a you know, a Western saddle. <laughs> That's how I do think about the ties. Tie like a Western saddle. Um, merman tail. Would a your what? dad like to make a big splash this summer? It's a merman tail. Wear that around the pool. There's a picture of a guy in a mermaid tail. Oh my God. It's a merman tail, Glenn. It is like from his waist all the way down. It has flippers and, um, yeah, that'd be sure divorce. If you're looking at getting rid of your horse husband, uh, who's also a father, buy him one of those. Okay, this next one is fantastic. It's luggage that you can put their face on. So <laughs> it's airport luggage. You know, if you're at the airport luggage terminal and you're trying to get your bag, uh, there's going to be um, a bag coming around and there's no mistaking whose it is. And the thing is people have done is take really embarrassing photos and put them like there's a guy sleeping in a chair with his mouth open, like catching flies. And that's the photo that they put. Nobody's going to be stealing this luggage. That's for damn sure. <laughs> no. Next one is earbuds, but they make your ears look like Vulcan ears. I mean, who doesn't want to look like Mr. Spock? <laughs> There's a um, stretchy Donald Trump doll. Anybody? Does your dad want this more than uh, Jean-Luc Picard? Uh, facepalm sculpture. Is anybody really into like the Star Trek stuff? Uh, there's a beef jerky bouquet. 
It looks like a bouquet of flowers, but <laughs> it's all dead. It's cow. beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapped up. Uh, uh, it does not, by the way, it kind of looks like flowers. It is not attractive looking. No, it's no. it's brown and pretty gnarly looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a Joe Namath action figure, and they clearly state that it's not a doll. <laughs> <laughs> is he in tights? Only old no. people remember that. Uh, he, he looks like he's wearing um, a tracksuit. What is the no. thing over his shoulders? Those are not shoulder pads. I don't. It looks like those things that you put on when you're having a heart attack, and it goes. Psh! That's what it looks like. I don't know what that's. Well, about. if it is shoulder pads, they've really got it wrong because they're supposed to go under. Yeah, the they're more like boot pads in this case. I don't. Oh my <laughs> god! I need to have this. The next one is a taco. When I make tacos here at the house, Lucas has a taco. We call it the taco ceratops, and it's like a triceratops, and it has slots in its back for tacos. Oh, so the taco doesn't fall over? (laughs) Yes, and this is a unicorn taco holder. (laughs) Instead of the taco ceratops, it's the unicorn taco holder. Uh, It looks like a My Little Pony unicorn taco holder is what it looks like. Here's the the part they didn't really plan for is it's actually real plastic hair on it, and that's going to get in your your taco. taco. How are you going to wash that? (laughs) I don't know. the taco ceratops does not have any fake hair. I do not want this, by the way. I'm not a yes, dad, but I do not want this. Okay. Yes, you do. It's a tuxedo onesie. And if you, no, I mean, it I says party not. and it says formal all together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Here's the description. Who said style and comfort were mutually exclusive? Not the person who decided to make this tuxedo onesie. Doing the bare minimum never felt so classy. Let me look how much this thing costs. Fifty nine ninety five for the tuxedo Shh. jumpsuit. <laughs> I mean, come on. Why wouldn't you want oh. that? Do you know how much tuxedos are? It's oh, By the way, the website where you can buy this is tipsyelves.com. My right. guess is we could do a whole show just looking through the products at tipsyelves.com. That's oh, my guess. That sounds great. Now, I'm going <laughs> to wrap it up with this one, our last one, because it's horsey. A jar of preserved horse poop. Why? Each jar has one little fecal ball in it. And Why? let me point out that this is from, for those race fans, Silver Charm. Silver Charm! The famous racehorse Silver Charm who uh, was in the Derby in 97. And I mean, come on. You need a silver charm fecal ball in a jar for Father's Day, right? Why did we come up with this idea? I could have sold scooter poop, and you could have sold sold Zeus poop, and we could have made a fortune. Um, except our horses didn't win the Derby. Oh, yeah, but they're very <laughs> popular, very popular horses. The thing is, no horse pe- person's going to actually buy horse poop. No, so we're the no. wrong audience for this. So why would... How much yeah. are they asking for this? Let me look that up. <laughs> yeah, click on that. Okay. Um, um, so the horse poop is going to cost you... There's no price on it. Um, I don't see a price. I mean, he's like... It's like... It's like, it's like it is free. It's like it's free. Because they realize, what's the point? Nobody is going to buy that. Oh, hey, wait a minute. I found the online shop. Stop it. Preserved Kentucky Derby horse turd. Uh, $200. That 
cannot be. Okay, well, I'm going to end on that one. <laughs> no thing is going to do. Babe, do you want a $200 piece of horse poop from Silver Charm, who won the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and just lost by a nose for the Belmont? Uh, he said if he w- would have won the Belmont, he'd have taken it, but no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go on. We have to we have to we have to move on here. All right, so we're going to I um we're going to now here I'm seeing if we have time for this or if we're gonna have to rearrange the show a bit. Uh so let's do this. Um I don't want to go to Dr. Jones late. So let's do let's do our chicory wealth after Dr. Jones before we get to before we get to Stanford. Let's do it okay. that way. You have some weird news for us, right? I do, I do. So let's do it that way. Let's do weird news next, and then uh, we'll just rearrange the show here a bit, because we went a little long talking about preserved $200 horse poop. And you need... Yeah, I mean, get started. I'm trying. All right, well, the beaches are opening up in Texas, and uh, despite... Uh, coronavirus the beaches have been opened and there was a big part it's an annual thing and it's called the go topless jeep weekend what could possibly go wrong in a weekend on the beach with a bunch of people who have been, been locked in for their houses <laughs> been locked in their houses for two months glenn i have not made it to the go topless jeep weekend but apparently it was a little crazier than normal there was at least 180 people arrested <laughs> at the oh Go Topless Beach Weekend. Beachgoer Chelsea Coyer told Galveston affiliate affiliate KBMT in a news report, we've been in quarantine and like, I needed to get out and party. <laughs> <laughs> um, Coyer claimed she was taking precautions to keep from getting the coronavirus by washing her hands for 20 seconds. But the station captured video of the event This is the actual news thing. The station video of the event captured lots of people twerking without masks. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like it should be a (laughs) t-shirt. I'm going to continue down and skip through this. Who wrote this? They need to be fired because this is the, this is a paragraph. All told, more than 180 attendees were taken into custody for numerous unrelated crimes. Two people were shot. <laughs> and, and also people were arrested. Uh, the, the, the unrelated crimes, they also included assault. Now, remember, people have been shot, assaulted. The next thing that they list is driving without wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> driving while intoxicated in public drunkenness. Um, <laughs> only 80 people are, were arrested in 2019. So they have stepped up their game. Um, well, you and- know, I got to go back to the twerkers because to be honest, there's no proof that you get it from that end. So I think you're good. Mm, you Because tw- twerking, you're not face to face. No, that's correct. See, that's I why like, I think you're safe that way. What news organization uses the word like twerking as a verb. I mean, that's not a verb. Like they were twerking without masks. I think that is without a t-shirt. Masks. We could make a fortune, $200 each. Throw in some horse poop, throw in some, some scooter poop. poop. We're, we're we'll good to go. Your- 
All right, we're leaving uh, Texas, and now we're going to head to Fort Myers, Florida, because there was a problem in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, a juvenile 250-pound black bear spent a good portion of Tuesday morning just walking around the Gulf Coast city. Wildlife officials say bears tend to move more in the spring in search of mates and, you know, food. Uh, so apparently it's a very congested area, and tranquilizing the bear wasn't an option. And the drugs don't always work immediately on large animals such as bears. So he says, the the police official or wildlife official says, when we tranquilize the bear, sometimes they'll run away. We don't want to take any chance of it running into traffic or a residential area. So how did they catch the bear, Glenn? What did they do? I don't know. They went to Krispy Kreme Donuts. (laughs) And they basically, you know, in the movie E.T. where he follows the Reese's Pieces. They kept dropping donuts. They kept (laughs) dropping pieces of a donut, Krispy Kreme donuts, and to a trap. And they got him to come into the trap by following Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) You're welcome, people. Donuts are out there. I would have to have Duncan, though. I'm not a Krispy Kreme fan. I would have had to have Duncan, too follow that trail myself. i think that um a bear is gonna follow any sort of sugary <laughs> yeah, fried that's bread. True. That is true. i don't think they're gonna have a problem <laughs> that is true do you have one i have time for one more you have one more? I, I got more i got more one more i mean you get to choose do you want boy six cracks open robbery case by reeling in sunken safe from the lake or do you want man fake wife man faked wife's disappearance so she'd avoid prison uh, I got to go with the safe. I want to see what was in it. Oh, the, the, no, no, no. You've chose the wrong one because <laughs> basically it's all in there. And he found like some, it was like some joy. They didn't crack anything. It was just a lady's safe. She had been robbed. Oh. <laughs> and then he has a magnet fishing. Apparently that's a thing. Magnet fishing in a South Carolina lake. And he caught the box. They brought it up and it was some credit cards and some old jewelry. Oh, and that's all. So oh, she, and a checkbook. So right. apparently well, let's somebody go with stole the other story now that you've okay. told that one. Yeah, was what, that's what I was going to do anyway. Um, a man <laughs> faked wife's disappearance so she'd avoid prison. This is in, you're going to be shocked, West Virginia. We're going to move to West Virginia. A West Virginia woman and her husband faked her disappearance by pretending she plummeted from an overlook as part of a scheme to keep her out of having to go to prison. Julie Wheeler and Rodney Wheeler were arrested Tuesday on multiple charges, including conspiracy and giving false information. Uh, she was reported missing Sunday by her husband and their 17 year old son. The family claimed that Julie had fallen from the main overlook at the new river gorge national river. And, um, apparently authorities searched for her for days and they, they found her Tuesday alive and well hiding in a closet in her home. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't work real hard at it, did they? <laughs> I do want to tell you what she was getting arrested for originally that decided to. Oh, by the way, they did work hard. Apparently, they threw some of her items, her belongings over the, the ledge. Apparently, Rodney Wheeler and his son planted items at the Grandview Overlook to fake her disappearance. (laughs) So apparently she was selling uh, pills illegally. (laughs) She was in a pill mill. They call those pill mills in West Virginia. She was in a pill mill. (laughs) So uh, she's now, she's in jail. Yeah. They they found her in the closet. She didn't go far. (laughs) I'm like, they found her. 
She was in her house, <laughs> hiding in the closet <laughs> like a coward. <laughs> there you go. That's it. All right. StatelineTech.com. Go there right now. That 30% off pop-up window is still there. So apparently you can still get 30% off a lot of stuff. So go to Stateline Tech right now. I did notice that they are having fly sheets and cool coats on sale right now. It is that fly sheet time of year. I don't know about you guys, but we have a lot of flies right now. Scooter's not liking it at all. So uh, they have the Amigo. They have Rambo fly sheets. They have the Amigo Evolution. Those are the really uh, fun colored ones. They have... Um, I'm looking at here. They have them for up to 37% off. So when you look at the uh, Amigo Evolution fly sheet, they have that marked down 10% even. They have the Amigo Combo fly sheets marked down to uh, starting at $45. They have the Rambo protectors marked down. I mean, all of these different fly sheets are now marked down where you don't normally see them marked down at all, especially this time of year. Uh, they have the Vamoose, no fly zone. We've talked about the Vamoose before. That's the one that Scooter wears, marked down to 150 from 246. So the, these really are marked down. Uh, and it looks like I went through a couple of them. It looks like they have most of the sizes right now as well. So go there right now. See if you can get that 30% off coupon that pops up. Uh, when uh, And if you don't see it, just when, while you're on the StatelineTech.com page, just press, if you have a PC, press Control F5 and... And that, uh, that forces a reboot of the page, and the, the pop-up should come up. So if you've been there recently and it doesn't show up, try that, and it'll give you the code. So Stateline Tack is where you want to go. They also have a whole bunch of other stuff right now. They have some Tough Rider breaches on sale for like in the $30 range. They have a really interesting thing. It's right on the homepage. It, it uh, is a whole section on Charles Owen helmets, and it really explains each type of the helmet and what it's used for and, and why you should buy it. It's probably one of the best explanations I've ever seen of Charles Owen, Owen's different lines of helmets and, and who should get which line. So that's on there too. It's very informational. Uh, you can find it at Stateline Tech. Well, today's Horse Health Report is brought to you by the Horse Nutrition Podcast on the Horse Radio Network. The Horse Nutrition Podcast covers topics you all will love. It highlights the world's most extraordinary horses, how they're trained, and what kind of nutrition they're given. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's part of Purina's Full Rain documentary series. Go to purinamills.com slash full rain to see them all. I would I, like to, rem what, are you going to get her on right now? Yeah, I will. But uh, I, I just wanted to mention that a new episode hit last week. It was the Amazing uh -huh. Horses at the Brave Hearts Therapy Center. And they're working with veterans doing some amazing work. And they do some interesting things that other uh, centers don't do. So you definitely want to take a listen to that. You can find the Horse Nutrition Podcast any place where you can find podcasts. Or go to PurinaMills.com slash full rain. All right, let's get Dr. Uh, Denny Jones on. Now, while you're calling her, I want to let everybody know that in the post show for auditors only, I am in a dire situation and I need advice and help. So those of you that I, and I can't talk about it on the show, I can only talk about it to the auditors. So um, that is your tease for becoming an auditor and listening to the post show. Glenn puts up, he makes me stay on the air and talk to him uh, after the show. So <laughs> that is what we do. And so that means whatever that conversation is about, I would have to cut it out of the regular show. She knows I wouldn't allow it in. So pretty much. Yeah. So we <laughs> pretty have, much. So hopefully we have Dr. Jones joining us here Hi. shortly. Hello. Dr. Jones? 
It's so good to hear you guys again. Oh my gosh, we missed you so much. How is life? What are you up to? <laughs> well, like everybody else, quarantining and six feet uh, social distancing and washing my hands a lot. <laughs> that sounds about right. Now, I started looking because it has been... You were on our show for a very long time, every week, and I, I did notice that now you have people, so you've stepped it up. Like, you used to just answer the phone. Now you have people. <laughs> yeah. but She at least I has would... one person. I mean, she has one yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. The first time that you came on with us, you were here, and it was December 15th, 2010. Oh, my God. We're all old now. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Can you believe that? And you know, do you? What was the subject matter you talked about, Doctor Jones? Do you know? Come on. No, I, no idea. <laughs> we talked about vaccines and briar horses on that episode. So <laughs> we talked about vaccinating briar horses. It sounds like us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hard hitting. <laughs> oh my gosh! So you guys have been very busy uh, down there in Florida. I'm sure this time of year, it, it, does it start to let up with all the people going back north? It does, but they went back north early this year, so it was a little scary. Um, they left like mid March, and they don't leave until end of April. So business has been kind of slow then. It has, but it hasn't. It, um, it. it I'll tell you. I had a dedicated all day Ocala day on Wednesday. That day didn't fill up very fast for about three weeks, four weeks. So, yeah, Wednesday was kind of my catch-up day back then. And then it started picking up. And I think because people were using their horses around the house, they were starting to notice things. And some of them were not really furloughed, but they were kind of not fired, but laid off but still getting paid for like, Disney and Universal. So they would have me out. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Just get to hang out with people and their horses. That's great. Well, we're, we're going to talk a little bit today about something that, again, I don't think we've ever talked about uh, on the show, and it is navicular bursitis. And that is your area of expertise today, Dr. Jones. So, so what the heck is navicular bursitis? <laughs> How about we simplify it and talk about tennis elbow? People know what that is. I've had that, and I played tennis for a long time. I had tennis elbow, and it hurts like hell. It does. It does. And I've actually had it in the shoulder. Um, So we all have bursas, and horses included, and dogs and cats all have bursas. And the bursas are like, to me, the best way to describe them, they're like little pillows of fluid that help protect your tendons and ligaments that are going moving around the edges of some sharp bony areas, primarily at joints. And they fulfill the job of being a little extra cushion or shock absorber to the tendon and bone interface so that they don't rub right on top of each other. So if you're doing repetitive work, repetitive work, i.e. tennis, or for me, shoulder work with either dentals or um, up and down with passing a tube into a horse's nose and things like that, or let's say reproductive checks. I won't really say how we do them, but the reproductive checks. We um, all know. You can get, you know, shoulder um, injuries as well. So it's repetitive movement over and over, concussive movement over and over that causes the bursa to, you know, it deflates and inflates and deflates and inflates as as it's kind of protecting those areas. And that will cause inflammation and irritation. And that inflammation and irritation is the itis, the bursitis side of it, that will swell and that little pillow doesn't have much skin abilities as well 
and as it swells, it hurts. So we always put a little steroid in those, right, in the tennis elbow to make it feel a little bit better, and then you can go back and play your tennis game. All right, so let's take that to the horse then. So uh, okay. the the navicular bone is a bone that, explain what, I just always felt like if we just didn't have navicular bones, nothing bad would happen, but we kind of <laughs> need them. But a necessary bone though. So yes. <laughs> that would be a problem if we would get rid of it. The navicular bone is underneath the heel, would be my best way to describe it, or the backside of the heel of every horse in every leg. We have one in our hand, and it is a great interface for the deep digital flexor tendon to run over it and go down and attach underneath the coffin bone. So that's your last soft tissue, per se, item coming down the leg, the final attachments really underneath the hoof. So the bursa is protecting the navicular bone and the deep digital flexor tendon from rubbing against each other. And it's the pillow or cushion between there is my best way to describe it to my clients. And that navicular bone on the bottom side has two little kind of indentations to it. If you've ever seen the bone itself, and I, silly as I am, I carry one around in my purse to show people. Um, <laughs> That's um, okay, I'm just absorbing has- that because that is something <laughs> I would expect you to do. Do you have the whole <laughs> skeleton in there too? Is it a big purse? Or- um, well, you know, I would if I had a big enough purse, but I don't like to carry big purses. So, okay. no, All I don't right. have the whole skeleton. Right. Is there any but, other know, parts we should know about you carrying there? <laughs> yeah, what else you got in there? I mean, jeez. <laughs> Imagine no, somebody steals like her purse. And tools and, and, and things like that for my husband, but we won't, we won't go down that road. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but imagine somebody runs up and they're like, they purse nab, you know, they grab it off her shoulder and run and they get to their little corner and they open it up and it's like a bunch of bones. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> like, be gross. That'd be the last time just... they snatch my purse, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so go ahead. So, so you've got this navicular bone in your purse. It's got two indentations on it. Right. And that is an area where the deep digital flexor tendon kind of runs down underneath. It, it provides a nice little curve. And that's the curved part down by the heel that goes underneath the foot. And, and that gives you your extension and flexion of that coffin bone. It, it's a very, very active area. So the horses have to have that. Um, if we go back to our physics of a seesaw, you know, you've got to have that little piece in the middle of the seesaw so the seesaw rocks back and forth. I'm simplifying it, so please don't take that literally. But it, you need to have a piece of, of bone or structure to help the seesaw move back and forth. And so that's kind of, uh, I guess, a good way of looking at the navicular bone is it's kind of acting as not a seesaw truly, but it's acting as the solid area between on the backside of the heel. It's a fulcrum. The, the it's a, yeah, it's a like a fulcrum fulc- between the hoof. And the um, cannon bone, um, it's, that, I'm very much simplifying that, very, very much simplifying it. So, um, so it's a necessary bone that's there, and then the bursa is right with it. So over time, it can get inflamed and get irritated, and this is something that, since we've all talked back in the days, we have now some great medicines out for the navicular bone. Question, and, let you know, me stop you there. Let me tell you there, why would the navicular bursa get inflamed or irritated or hurt? What causes that? Well, that's great because I was heading that way. I'm so oh, glad you sorry. asked. The, no, that's okay. The, the bone um, can get inflamed or irritated. We have great medicines now for that since we've, you know, last talk, like I said. But um, when the bone may be very, very healthy, it may not have any issues. But if the horse is doing a lot of, landing low on the heel, uh, sliding in the heel, 
um, going up and down hills in the heels. I'm trying to describe different disciplines here that you might be recognizing. Um, that heel is getting a lot of jarring. And that burst is getting a lot of inflate, deflate, inflate, deflate going on. So the inflammation that occurs in there is trying to protect the bone and the deep genital flexor tendon. And again, since we've really looked at this area more scrutinizing with drugs that are out and things like that, we have found out that our x-rays only show us the bone. We don't get to see the bursa on the x-rays. So we're now ultrasounding more and more to look at the bursa, but there's only so much you can see on a regular ultrasound from the back of the heel because the hoof wall is kind of blocking our view. So MRI came about, and it's been a wonderful tool to look at that bursa bone interface and the bursa deep digital flexor tendon interface. And I'm just naming those three structures. There's other structures. Uh, There's other ligaments back there too as well. But those three things we try to put blame on when we have a horse limping in the front end usually, not the back end. Usually it's a front end problem because they bear so much weight on it. And sometimes the horse is uh, maybe a little undershot in the back heel area. They're a little underrun. That puts a little more pressure on it too. Some of these abandoned horses that we saw during the recession that didn't have their feet done for a long time tended to grow a long toe and have low heels, and they were getting more concussion forces just walking around pasture and such. But really it's a high activity of like a reining horse, jumping horse, uh, not so much a dressage horse, um, but an endurance horse or competitive trail riding horse going up and down hills that they're putting a lot of stress and strain. Would something like this also come from genetics? They are scrutinizing that idea, but it seems to be more bony than Versa. Okay. Versa seems to be more trauma. Gotcha. Okay. So what do you do with it? And if you, okay, so I know you're going to say you inject it. You've talked, you said that you (laughs) inject it, but if you, is this one of the things that if you inject it, it needs it all the time? And, or is this like a one shot? We help, we fixed it. Depends on the situation. So there are some during the recession that did not see a farrier because of monies. Once we got them into proper shoeing and back on a regular schedule, we injected it once, never saw them again. Okay. Those that have consistent problems are those that have some hoof wall development problems, and I don't mean that they're, you know, um, they're they're the problem child of the farrier world. How's that? And so the farrier has a challenge of trying to keep that hoof wall and heel area in a sufficient amount to keep them off the heel bulbs and overusing the navicular area of the bursa and the bone. Those horses may need more injections as well as their increased use. So they're a wonderful jumper. They're increasing their jumping height. They're a wonderful eventer. They're moving up the levels. They're a wonderful rainer. They're increasing their spins and their slides. You know, th- things like this. this. Those horses that are going to ramp up because they're a good horse may need more help down the line on the bursa. It is an encapsulated area. Gotcha. So basically, uh, you know, if you're going to use your horse, you're going to have to perform maintenance on it, which is kind of what we all need to remember about horses too, is that the more you use them, I mean, a professional football player is not just going to wake up in the morning and go about hit the field and go right back to bed. I mean, they, you know what I mean? Like they, they need, they need therapy, And so this is a therapy. Would something like this deter you from buying a horse? Oh, if it had a history of navicular bursa, yes. I would say I'd be hesitant to purchase that horse if you're planning on making it an active 
show or competitive horse. If you said, love this horse, he's had a great life, but all I want to do is trail ride, which we've had a few people do that, even in Wellington. They've had a pre-purchase on a horse up here who is a show horse down there, but they just want a nice-looking horse to ride around in Wellington. It's all about And the they just now. have too much money to spend, so they just decide... <laughs> A Let's trail just, riding horse would be perfectly fine for that. So it just depends on the activity. Grand Prix jumper trail rider. That's where I want to put my money. Do you know what? I've sold horses like that <laughs> <laughs> to a trail riding woman. So, you know, our man, it doesn't have to be a woman, but it's, it's, it's interesting. But it's wonderful because the use of the jumper is it's no longer usable in the competitive world. And so some of those just get kicked out in the pasture and never looked at again. At least it's going to be used. So, I, yeah, I figured that that's not a bad gig to have is be on a trail and be spoiled by your owner. I have a question. This has been fascinating. Thank you for describing that and making us all just terrified of one more thing that can happen to our horse. Dr. Jones, we appreciate it. Um, (laughs) Now, was your clinic, Florida Equine, the one that saved that horse that was kicked out of the trailer on the freeway? We were a part of that. Yes, it was a team. It was definitely a team. That's highway. Highway's wonderful. We actually saw Highway yesterday for just some general vaccinations. Do you remember that, Glenn? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yes, he's doing fantastic. Fantastic. Loving his life at the rescue. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah, so for those who don't remember, Highway was a horse that was, did he get out or fell out or something? Somebody, they were driving down 75 and he fell out of the trailer and the people just like left him there on the freeway. Yeah. So uh, y'all took care of him. Your clinic took care of him and you were involved in that. And, and, um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the story was, is that he was heading off to slaughter, heading off to a kill. Pen. And he said, no way in hell I'm going there. I'm out. Exactly. So he, <laughs> he rigged his escape and got, no, <laughs> I think the door flew open. He went out the back side. He said, I'm jumping. A, 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 a bystander said they saw. They kidnapping I, me. I'm out of here. <laughs> every time I see a truck with gals and or chickens in it, I'm like, you guys run! <laughs> run! <laughs> Too funny. Too funny. Yeah, no, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. But one more note about your navicular bursitis, just yes. to throw it in. Okay. Again, plantar fasciitis that we have on our feet. We want to wear some good shoes. Make sure you have a good farrier. Anything that's involving the foot, navicular, navicular bursitis, club foot, anything. It's up to the farrier to keep them comfortable in between these therapies. Okay. That we do. The, then, then since I have another minute or two, I'll ask you: How do you find a like? How do you okay? Say so you've got this list of farriers and all the names, and I, I kind of had to deal with this moving to Oklahoma from Arizona. Doctor Jones is. I had this list of farriers, and I'm like, I don't know who's good and who's not. So what I went with was a woman who's certified journeyman. To me, that means she at least had some education. What do you recommend asking of your farrier to make sure you have a good one? Like, how do you know? Certified journeyman is great to have, but not every single farrier will have that. So it's hard to find those in some pockets of the world. So I usually tell my clients, ask who your neighbors use. All of them, not just one. All of them. If they give you multiple different names, fantastic. Then ask a friend or ask your vet and then have them out and go from there but yes if you can find one with a little bit of knowledge base or certified journeyman behind their name or schooling they went to that would be great to know 
Well, see here, Dr. Jones, I'm a farrier, and what I did was I worked with my cousin for three months, and I rode around with him, and uh, I just basically, you know, he taught me how to do it, and now here I am. I got my own truck. <laughs> and I, and I'm not going to make I'll you answer that. So Yeah, I'll take the card, I'll look at the feet, and then I'll take my own opinion. But see, not everybody's, you know, adept at looking at feet knowing that something's good or something's bad. So I always tell them, try to get a couple references. Well, you know what? You get a plumber at your house, you're going to get a couple references. Ask your vet. Just ask your vet. They know everything. Florida Equine Veterinary Services. Florida yeah. Equine Veterinary Services. It's FloridaEquine.com. Thank you, Dr. Jones. It's been so good to hear your voice again. It's great to hear you guys. You guys stay healthy. Take care. All right. Take we care. We miss you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. FloridaEquine.com is where you can find Dr. Jones. All right, let's continue on with our series on financial matters uh, from Trickery Wealth. And today we're going to talk about how how you can hand money down to your heirs in a more efficient way. Bring and, it. And then we're coming back. We're, we have uh, Stanford Moore. He's actually coming on today. I confirmed it. I just heard from him. Uh, so Stanford's joining us from Black Rains Magazine, and we're going to chat with him for a little bit, too, about everything going on in the world. But right now, let's talk about money. We are excited to bring you another educational series here on the Horse Radio Network. This time, we're going to talk about finances with certified financial planner Christina Kramlick of Chicory Wealth. As horse owners, finances are something that we are acutely aware of, and hopefully this series will help us better understand where we are and where we can go with our financial situation. Well, Christina, I wanted to talk to you a little bit of today at the beginning of this segment about banks. You know, one of the things people were concerned about, and I was a little bit too, uh, at the beginning of the whole pandemic thing, uh, probably a little less now, but uh, was that banks would, you know, go belly up kind of like they've done in the past. And I know that your money in a bank has a $250,000 FDIC insurance on it. But I also heard that there's a workaround for that. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was intrigued to learn more about this recently as uh, people have been asking about this. We've just been through such incredibly strange times in the last several months with so much uncertainty and a lot of people are keeping cash available. And uh, yeah, I mean, your wealthier listeners may already know the FDIC maintains that $250,000 coverage limit on each account held at a single financial institution, which if you want to keep more of that on hand, might cause you some angst if you're trying to protect, you know, a lot of liquid assets and keep your cash accounts as organized as possible. So keep in mind that 250K limit includes every cash account, savings, checking, CDs, money market accounts. Um, there's a wrinkle though. There's one easy to use method to increase your total coverage limit and to about uh, or exactly a million two fifty, and that's called the payable on death designation. In essence, when you designate a bank account as payable on death, the person you've named will suddenly become the owner of the account once you pass away. They will not be entitled to any of the money in that account until that time, of course, but once you die, it's theirs and their name is already on the account. This designation, which is also in some states known as the Toten Trust, bypasses your estate and is even more powerful than your last will and testament. It's essentially a type of revocable trust because there's a beneficiary interest in the account already. 
And because of that beneficiary interest, the FDIC allows you to cover that big amount of a million to 250 at a single financial institution by designating up to five payable on death beneficiaries. None of those beneficiaries can be covered for more than the 250K level individually. Oh, so you would have, uh, basically, you would have five co-owners on the account? Well, they're not co or? Right. They're, they're not technically co-owners while you're still alive. Gotcha. Okay. But they become beneficiaries of, of their portion of that account upon your death. So it kind of works like a life insurance policy that way. Uh, a, a little bit. It basically bypasses your estate um, because they're already named on the account while you're living. These these and trusts are sometimes called the poor man's trust fund because they're revocable trusts and they become irrevocable once you pass away. So for no paperwork or cost, they achieve many of the same net effects as a basic trust fund with the assets of the account skipping probate entirely. If you have a payable on death designation on an account, you cannot override them with a will. And this is a big deal. This means in practicality that if you name your daughter as the beneficiary on the account form, and then later you change your mind and you leave money to your son, or that money to your son in your will, upon your death, your son is not going to receive anything from that account as the account is hers the moment you pass away. Secondly, as with everything estate planning oriented, it's really important to consider the recipient. If you're going to name somebody as a recipient of the payable on death account, you need to be able to be sure that that person can responsibly receive the money. Because if anything happens to you, that's exactly what's going to happen. It will be unrestricted. So if you're concerned about the habits of the beneficiary, or you think your their lives are unstable in any way, uh, or they could get sued, or they they might have might be too much too soon, or they're 18 and hitchhiking the world. It, exactly. You <laughs> want to look at a different way of doing it. Maybe create a trust with a spendthrift provision. There's a lot of different ways to handle it. Um, so that's a whole other topic, but. Um, but if you if you know that you want to provide that cash and and um, and you have five people that you want to name, you can you can set that up pretty easily. When when you have a, a, a money in accounts in a bank like that, we we basically refer to that as being in, in cash, right? We right. Refer to it as cash because it's available. Um, should people be sitting with that much cash, or should they be doing something with it instead now? comes down to the specific individual and it depends really on when you're going to need the money. I mean, at the moment we seem to be having very strange disconnect between the real economy and wall street. You know, we're making a, the stock market is making a huge dramatic comeback, you know, for the most part in fits and starts, but we're still learning what the ripple effects of the $10 million or um, 10 million or more jobs that were lost permanently, you know, what, how, how those people are going to be re retrained and, and reallocated into the economy. So the ripple effects of those permanently lost jobs could be really broad. Those people right now are not driving cars to work. They're not paying for childcare. It's summertime anyway. They're not going to restaurants. They're not buying clothes or going on vacation. And, you know, we really still don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. Um, so companies are going to need to pivot and workers may need retraining. All this will take time. And of course the social dislocation we're seeing might go on for a while too. You know, 
this virus and the shutdown brought out big issues that we're going to have to grapple with and painfully. So with that as a backdrop, even with the economy recovering, I expect a lot of volatility in the stock market until at least the end of the year. You know, with that said, I still think there are pockets of opportunity opportunity for stable growth. And I think it's important to invest consciously and to know what you own. So what do you mean by know what you own? I mean that understanding where your money is going when you invest it is getting easier to do and more important to do. So at Chicory, we invest exclusively in the environmental social governance space or ESG. And we've been doing that since before the firm even officially started. It's been a growing trend in the investment industry for the last few years, but the COVID-19 sell-off really accelerated the shift among investors to prefer companies that better manage sustainability risks. Basically, ESG investing takes into account not only the traditional financial metrics, but looks at a company's record relative to environmental issues, its relations with its stakeholders, including employees, customers, and the broader community in which they operate as well as governance issues such as pay practices and diversity and leadership in the workforce. Um, an ESG lens teases out all kinds of risks that are not necessarily apparent when you look through the lens of conventional financial analysis. And many market observers believe that strong ESG performance indicates better management. So these types of management teams are more likely to be better adept at running many aspects of a company's business and should theoretically be better equipped to ride out a downturn and create long-term shareholder value. We've also found that individual investors are demanding ESG portfolios now. People want their portfolios invested in companies that they can get behind from a sustainability and governance perspective. For all these reasons, we think ESG as an approach is here to stay. Technological change, environmental imperatives, and long-term social norm changes, we think will keep corporate sustainability practices moving forward. Governments can slow it down or accelerate, you know, depending on policy changes, but they can't stop them. And these companies that fail to transform their business models will eventually be replaced by others that have more adaptive flexibility. So sure enough, during all the volatility of the first quarter, we saw that sustainable companies were able to provide a significant level of downside protection as far as stock performance. During that period, ESG leader companies in the S&P 500 outperformed the index by almost 9%. And I think after recent events, more and more companies are looking to be more like that. This is more more prevalent than ever before. It, yes, I think I think everybody is on board and recognizing that it's time to wake up and and move in the direction of sustainability and accountability and transparency, most importantly. Yeah, certainly most importantly. So where can people find you and how do they get a hold of you? You can learn more about us at our website, www.chickorywealth.com. Very good. And of course, you can find all the past episodes that we've done, all the past segments that we have done. I think there's been four before this. So you can find those at horseradionetwork.com slash planning. And there are all the sound files are broken out there. You can go listen to them all in a row if you'd like. Thank you for joining us for our financial discussion today. These concepts are broad in nature and may or may not apply to you. The content is provided for informational purposes only. Please see your financial advisor or call Christina at chicorywealth.com to discuss your individual needs. That's chicorywealth.com.
All right, welcome back, everybody. And now it's time to give Stanford Moore a call, who is the founder and editor at Black Rains Magazine. And of course, Black Rains sends us guests once a month here on the show. And we've been doing that for a long time. Hey, hey is this Stanford? Yeah. How are you? It's Glenn and Jamie. Hello. Doing good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Are you talking directly into your phone, not on the speaker? Yes, directly into my phone. Actually, I'm about to wash my hands. <laughs> I'm in the bathroom. Oh, great, great. <laughs> we always ears. ask where you are, and usually you're driving on the highway around Atlanta, but today you're in the bathroom. That's perfect. See, <laughs> maybe sometimes because I was going to ask where in the world are you Stanford you're always doing something uh, maybe don't answer it if you're in the bathroom yeah, you, can right. you can lie it's not that bad <laughs> it is a family call right yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Stanford, you know, I talked to you for, we talked for what about an hour last week off air and we had a great conversation. Apparently, since the, the, since all of this started happening, you've been a busy boy doing interviews, huh? I have. I've been doing, I've done about 10 interviews over the past two weeks. And I think that's because, uh, if I got it right, people are searching African American and searching equestrian, <laughs> and you're the only one that shows up. So uh, you're the one come, you come to the top. Uh, so what kind of what kind of question? Let me rephrase this because we've had you on and we've talked about a lot of different things as far as diversity in the horse world. But what questions have surprised you the most, or what's jumped out at you with these interviews? Um. Basically, the reaction. I mean, a lot of times um, uh, I've had unique situations. Like um, I had one one caller ask me, what's the biggest shock uh, that people ran into when covering or experiencing the black cowboy experience? And I gave one example. One example was uh, I had a guy that was interacting with me back and forth as I started the publication. We were both doing research uh, together, and uh, over the years, he was putting out a book of black famous black cowboys, and uh, I was working on Black Rain Magazine, so he wanted to collab on the information, and we would go back and forth on some research things I had posted, and uh, I never met him, and we dealt with each other for about two years, and I never met him, and he discovered black cowboys. He he went to a black rodeo called Cowboys of Color out in uh, Fort Worth. And he wanted to go home and find out more because he was shocked how many black cowboys there were. So he went home and did some research and couldn't find much information. He had to really bog down and dig deep. It all goes back to black and white, like uh, Bill Pickett and stuff like that. So he, he called me and started asking me some questions about some things that I was researching. And we dealt with each other for the years. And I, I uh, a guy named... Um, uh, uh, Cleo Hearn that was putting on the Cowboys of Color Rodeo, he found Black Rings Magazine on the internet. He wanted to reach out to me. He called me, invited me out to his rodeo. And he's a veteran, one of the first black cowboys to go to uh, college on a rodeo scholarship. And so uh, he brought me out, gave me some VIP passes. I want to introduce you to a bunch, bunch of people. And this guy pulls up with a BMW. And uh, he said, wow, Stan, I want to introduce you to a guy named Don Nelson. Don is covering us. He's one of our photographers. And uh, I want you guys to meet. And so Don looked at me and was like, whoa, Stan for more. And I looked at Don 
And I said, wow, Don Nelson. I never thought of him as being this little five foot five white guy <laughs> covering the butt. And so we had never met. And he never looked at me as being some six, eight tall, you know, guy. We just didn't fit each other. It was like, what's up? We hugged each other like we were talking to brothers. So we had been dealing with each other for so long. And Don and Cleo said, I'm going to leave you guys to talk and I'm going to step off for a minute. I got to take care of everything. So Don asked me this question. This takes me to this question. Don said, Stan, I've been covering all these black guys and black cowboys. I was so for sure that I would run into a whole lot of racial episodes or uh, discrimination and over the years. He said, but I couldn't get none of these guys to say they had experienced those things. And I said, I laughed and said, <laughs> that's funny. I said, because when I sit down and talk to him, being a black guy, that's all I hear. Mm. Um, these veteran older guys. And I said, and he said, why is that? I said, we have been trained to say certain things around people we're comfortable with. Just my color alone makes them comfortable to talk freely. When they talk to you, they talk a different way. I said, and, and I said, Don, think about that. Most of the history that's been covered through the black cowboy, when you go back to black and white, it's all written by someone white, not black. I said, so you get a whole different experience. And he said, well, I never thought about that. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, that's the two different experiences of me sitting down interviewing someone and him sitting down interviewing someone. And so I thought that was shocking because I never had thought about it until he brought it up. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I, you know that I have a, uh, a black co-host for the one show I do called Finding Florida, and we travel all over the place. So we spend a lot of time in the car together, and we've both learned exactly what you just said. She you know, she came from a point of view of having had issues being black and a woman and, and an entrepreneur and all of that. And she didn't understand that a lot of times in my case, it was I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I had never right. had the experience before, just like, you know, in his case, too. We just didn't know because we've never had the opportunity to have the experience. Yes. So how do how you know we've had this conversation with you before on the show, but you know it might be t we have right. new listeners and it might be time to revisit it. How do we overcome <laughs> that? We don't have the experience because we haven't had the opportunity to have the experience. Uh, you know we're trying to bridge that by by doing interviews and you know having discussion about it here on this show. But you know obviously more has to happen. What has to happen? And is there an opportunity? Do more African Americans want to become horse people? You know, where's the divide there, and how do we overcome that divide? Ooh, that's a loaded question. I know, like two or three questions in I one. I know. That's why Let's I gave go. it to you. That's Sorry. why I gave it to you, Stanford. That's why. Stanford, fix everything right now. Go. <laughs> fix it all, Stanford. <laughs> well, let me let me start by the first thing. I think what was the first part? So is, the, uh, the first part oh, is how do we? Yeah. How do you? How do you? We understand how each to other communicate. Well, yeah. Well, okay. This is the thing. I'll give you an example. This, this uh, father, he's a 60-something-year-old white guy. He adopted a black kid from Ghana, I think. I'm just going to throw it out there. and I, just, is, I think it's Ghana, but you'll get the point. He raised him. The kid is now maybe 27 years old. He became a farrier out in the hills of California somewhere. It's an all-white environment. Um, and because of all this recent actions that's going on in the media with the George Floyd thing, he stopped and had a conversation with his son. 
and said, son, have you ever felt uncomfortable or no, his son wrote a letter and he read that letter and his son was explaining about his experience that he had never talked to his son about. He adopted a kid at five, never had that real conversation with him because he, you know, when you're raising a kid, you never think about it. It's just like, that's my kid. You, yeah, I mean, right. it is what it is. Everybody loves him. He's a great, great personality. But he never stopped that, Stopped and got the black experience. And so he asked the kid, you know, he read the letter, and he said he was teary-eyed because he never knew his son went through a lot of challenges and felt and, and, and ran into situations of discrimination being a black fairy in an all-white mountain resort. It's a it's a resort where they do mule hiking and all that. It's got a like a tw- 120 head of mule. And he wrote this op letter and is is uh I think the letter is called a fairy a wild black or something like that. And I have it and I posted it to my page. He reached out to me. He wanted me to publish that letter and I did. And uh and he contacted me and said, "Can we have a conversation?" This was just last week. And uh, he got to telling me about that experience. He said he was teary-eyed because he never knew his son faced discrimination over the years. He never thought about it because he never had to wear that skin. And he took me back to days where he was a little boy. And he said he was raised in Arkansas. And his grandfather had taken him to a tree one day that I guess the Ku Klux Klan or whatever had hanged a man. And he witnessed it when he was a little boy, maybe 10, 12, 13 years old. Mm. He said, he saw, well, he took him to that place and said, this was my, the first time I saw a hanging, a live hanging. His grandfather did. And I mean, this is a grown man that I've never met on the phone, maybe 30 minutes at that point, telling me this story and bursting out in tears and say, I got to apologize. It, it's an emotional moment for me. I'm that same kid that's a grandkid of that in my family. And here I am raising a black kid that's probably not even accepted in my family. And it it just brought him to tears that all those things that he was experiencing that he never got it. You know, well, he had chances to, but he never felt bold enough to just sit down and have a conversation. So First thing is, you have to understand, because of the history of our country, we do see color. And it's okay. But seeing color means stop and have a conversation. Like, I do see a kid maybe handicapped. But it's because they're handicapped, don't discriminate against them. Sit down and ask, hey, it may, what? you're in a wheelchair. Oh, man, how challenging is that? You know, can I help you in any way? It's the same thing. We see challenges among people and we see the way they're treated we have to stop and have these honest conversations because these conversations can help you get to know people a little better all right what's the second part of that question i've forgotten now that was such a good answer i think you might have covered it (laughs) okay it is really it's okay to see differences it's okay because of the things in the media and we understand the history of our country to have a conversation with a black person like man have you ever tell me about it wow i never knew that because then you'll you'll become intimate with your friend 
And you I, become intimate with them to share these type of stories. I think that's I think that's what I learned hanging out with Jemmy for a couple of years. I you know it and it took several conversations for us each to learn a little bit about the other side, right? Um, right. You know, right. It, it took several. It wasn't one conversation. It was several conversations. I mean, I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We had Amish and virtually no black people at all. Um, right. So, I mean, you know, the Amish were discriminated against there. You know, that's where the discrimination yeah. was where I grew up. Um, right. There was lots of it. I mean, against the Amish, they were like total outsiders, you know, when I was growing up as a kid there. So I learned about discrimination, but it was from a, it was a different group, right? Uh, it's the right. same discrimination, right. really, when you think about it. They were discriminated against in many ways. Um, yes. And it was all stereotypical. Right. Yes. Uh, they it is. they it were is. all lumped in as the same, and I, you know, so discrimination is discrimination that way. So, what do you, uh, you know, we? Let me just. Yeah. Say, I'm from Atlanta, and I just so much of this is so over my <laughs> head being right. from 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 Atlanta. Atlanta. It, it's just <laughs> right. it's not a thing, you know. Like yeah. it, it's just. Yeah. It, it's just it's crazy. I, I it's I'm learning urban, while listening. It's an, ur- it's an urban city. That's why. Yeah, we're in a lot of urban cities around the country. Yeah, so it's definitely yeah. interesting to hear Glenn talking about you know the 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 Amish and everything, and I just I don't have anything <laughs> to compare it to. Right, it is. It's dependent on where you raise. Give an example. I joined the army back in 1988, and so when I was in the army, I met a guy, my roommate in Germany. I got shipped off to Germany immediately my first duty station. My roommate had never ever ever seen, touched a black person in real life <laughs> until he joined the army. He's from wow. North Dakota. Wow. I've never seen one in person. Oh my God. I'll tell you I mean, what, it's talk- because black people are too smart to live in North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, just, I'm just telling you, there are people out there. My room, okay, give an example. My last job at uh, MicroSemi, not MicroSemi, Interfield Corporation as an electrical engineer uh, my real good friend, group, we hang out, go over each other's house. But when I met his son for the first time, where was he living? He was out. I can't think of the name of that city in Ohio. His son had never seen a black person well, in Ohio. When he met me, he hugged his dad's leg. He had never seen a black person in person. His well, son was like five at the time. Yeah, but let's be honest. You're six foot eight. You're not just a black person. You're like a very big one. Yeah, <laughs> look, that's enough. Okay, okay, now you're getting personal because I have a different experience. Being a six foot eight black guy, it is, I do get looks, no matter what. Stanford, let me ask Black you an honest, let me ask you an honest <laughs> right. question. How many times right. in your life have they asked you if you're good at basketball? Good God, I can go through that every single day. I bet. <laughs> Are you? Are you good Probably at basketball, every Stanford? Everybody. Yes, I played basketball for the army. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I used to be. I used to be. Not now. No. Uh, yeah, I told um, Glenn, too, you know, he's talking about how he gets looks when he goes out with Jemmy, who is our uh, producer. And she's an African-American woman with dreadlocks, and she's 5'2". Right. And she goes, and Glenn's like, I get it. We get looks. And I'm like, stop it. I would look at you right. guys. But only because she's 5'2", <laughs> yeah, and you're 6'4". Absolutely. You know, I, I would get I would looks look. with her. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Five, two, six, eight, <laughs> she can walk under your legs. Right. It's like <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah. 
have the conversation. Yes. It's been an exciting week. I think um, it's a lot of diversity calls coming and how do we fix this? And it's really no fixing. It's just acknowledging. I mean, we're, you know, we're all one people and, uh, you know, we all come with our different situations. Uh, you know, one of the things about the equestrian world is, you know, it's, 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 really a lot of class is built into it. You know, depending on what class of, of society you come from makes it more accessible. It's, it's one of those things where you have, you have to have a lot of liquid money um, to be able to afford to do some of these equestrian sports. And so it, it can be out of range. But I always say, you know, to a willing parent, you know, give a kid an opportunity to make some choices, meaning Sometimes I've given advice to a lot of different people to a couple of my last calls that own barns. And they said, you know, how do we get more African-American kids involved in these sports? I said, basically giving them a dream. Um, a lot of young kids, I don't know a young kid in this country that wouldn't want a pony at their birthday party coming up. Well, that same love, that's where it starts as a kid. I gave her the advice that said, you want to open the door and open the mind up of a young kid? Take those big, beautiful horses of yours, not maybe, maybe not one of your competitive horses, but something you ride for leisure. Take it to a school like I do. Every year I go to my son's school. I work it out with the administration. I take my horse. I ride my horse to the school. I ride the horse to the school. I tie him out front. The kids come. They line up. I put them on the back. They take pictures, and they go back to class with the whole new, you know, this is Atlanta. So, you know, it's, it's, we're talking urban cities that are not so accessible to barns and farms and, you know, land. So this is a big deal. Once a year for my my buddy's birthday, he decides that he wants to make it uh, a tour through the city on horseback. And so he gets about five of us real good friends. We'll do about 30 miles on horseback, just taking it through the inner city. So we give kids an opportunity to run outside of their communities and line up. And we, we walk them around with the parents' approval. We walk them around uh, and give them all a little pony ride. I Help want your horse. That. Yeah, I want your horse, too. <laughs> it's that bomb-proof. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man, my, my horse is so bomb-proof. I can walk them on the yellow line with a fire truck and a, and a cop car coming on both two different directions that he won't move. My my horse is bomb bomb proof, and for a kid could do that, yeah. And we're talking a big horse. I had seventeen two hand paint. I mean, he's a big big horse, but he's so laid back. I could put any six kids on his back and turn them loose in the past. They go. Now I'm going to ask you the Great. tough question. You've done these interviews, and uh, you know, to be honest, we've been here before in the past too. Do you think that you're? Do you think this time is different? That we're going to see some lasting change, or do you think we're going to be back here yeah. again in five years? You know why it's lasting change? Think about the riots in the cities and marching with Martin Luther King. Most of the time, you saw big groups of black people. Well, this time, if you look at these. Uh, uh, protests and all that, you see a diverse culture of people. I think uh, for the first time, this is one thing about one thing about the images of slavery that a lot of people just don't want to acknowledge. It's easy to look at a photo and quickly skim by it. It's easy to look at a photo. And you imagine getting arrested and the guy's accused of murder and they push that image in front of that person and that person's like, ah, oh, they look away from it real fast. But it's another thing to watch a man die right in front of you. It's, an, it's, it's serious. I mean, when I say that thing hit me to the core 
uh, to see a man with a knee in his neck and dying live, uh, it, it will affect you almost like you pulled the trigger. And so I think it affected the human side of a man, a father, a son down there dying. The human side really connected with a lot of people and said, we have to do better as a society. And so when you see those people in the streets, I think that is a telling point that something changed. It changed from the riots of the 60s and the marches and protests of the 70s. It did. It's a multicultural people all around the world saying, you know what, as humans, as society, we have to really think about this and do a little better. If we've been policing a little too aggressively, where, where did that begin and how do we fix it? Uh, because I don't think any cop, there's so many good cops, like as cultural people, white and black, there's so many of us doing the right things. It only takes one or two of us to create this blanket image that we're all bad. And so I don't think all cops are bad. I don't. But I also think it needs to be acknowledged even from the top. There should be consequences and there should be a, a, a reevaluation of when kids, when the cops come out of the academy, we have to approach them and get them early and start looking at these things a little different and say, you know what? We have to become where I grew up. When I grew up in my own community um, growing up, we knew the police officers. They lived in our community. There was a time that police officers, you know them on a first-name basis, and a cop could say, hi, Jerry. Hi, Stanford. Hi, Glenn. They knew you. They watched your kids grow up. And so there's a personal relationship. So when you see a kid doing wrong, it's like, hey, Jimmy, come here. Did your father know you're down here? Stop hanging with those kids and get your butt home right now. Busted. That's the type of policing that we need. And so there, something changed this time. And I think hopefully the, the police reform will get back to community serving, protecting it, and policing. That's uh, my take. Well, I think I think uh, obviously uh, uh, we we love having you guys on. And I got to tell you, Stanford. Stanford for president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a start, and it's just my opinion. It doesn't reflect anybody else's opinion, but that's Stanford a wouldn't fit through the hall doors at the White House with his cowboy hat on. They'd have to raise all the doors. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, probably, Stanford, I'm writing so. you in. I'm writing no, no, no. I think I think the conversation starts there. We have to all look at each other, give each other a big old hug, and shake your hands and say, "What's your name? My name is Stanford. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Glenn. How well, are you doing? Come on, let's sit down and eat." I, w- I want to thank you for something. You uh, For what, over a year now, we've been having guests on from Black Rains Magazine that you set up all the guests. You're the one that book them all. And we get right. more comments on your guests saying what terrific guests they are than probably any other guests we have. And I have to tell you that we we did the girl who she was like 13 years old, and I wish I could remember her name right off the top right now. Oh, uh, uh, man. You know who I'm talking about. A couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. The last one. Yeah. Yeah. She was the best teenage guest we've ever had. When when we get booked in a guest that's a teenager, we both cringe because a lot of times they they clam up when you get an interview. No kids. No kids. Oh, she Jamie always (laughs) says no kids, no kids. And when she finds out there's a kid coming on, she like freaks she yells at me. Uh, but right. that was one of the best kid guests we've ever had. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Oh, I was handpicked though. I handpicked her because I knew she would do well. I'll yeah. follow her, and she's she's been prepped well. So yeah. I what? trust Stanford more than Glenn. Okay, let me just throw that out there again. Stanford oh, I got president. another one. Wait for your next guest. This is she's gonna blow you away. 
Awesome. I wish you did. I could tell you, but I'm, I'm going to surprise you again. Oh, you can be blown away by the next one as well. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad. Well, we've been. It's not the first time we've had this conversation. Is the thing we've been having it for. Yeah, right. You know, we've been having it for right. a couple of years here, and uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that we are still continuing the conversation. I think we need to. Um, yeah, we do. And that it needs to continue to happen. I know that one of our listeners. I can't say much more about this, but she teaches. Uh, she teaches uh, kids of color. And that's her whole class right. is kids of color, and she's also you know a writer. And she's we're putting together. Hopefully, if we can get it together, we're kind of putting a scholarship program together to get those kids riding lessons. So, awesome. a way of just exposing them to horses, and then the ones that want to do it can do it. But I think it's it's just going to take programs like that all over the country. And and you know what? Yes. It's what you said earlier. It's it's not even a black white issue. It's an opportunity issue. I don't care whether you're black white or you're. Uh, you're Asian or whatever you are, yeah. you know, there's another yeah. group that haven't had much exposure to horses, right? Uh, the Asian yeah. population. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I, if we can find ways to give more kids opportunities, no matter what color they are or what ethnicity they are, that's going to just benefit the horse world as a whole. It starts with, and I tell everyone, and I said the biggest way to have that immediate impact on a mass group is a school field day. Just take your horses out to a field day. And I'm telling you, it'll be an experience that most kids won't get the opportunity. You have one, there'll be one setting where you can affect a lot of people at the same time. And schools are diverse. And, and, kid, and, 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 and the but, more we're kicking horses out of cities, even carriage rides and stuff, uh, you know, kids are not going to have an experience to even see a live horse ever. Ever. Uh, yeah. Ever. Yep. Well, Stanford, where can people find you and, and what you do? Well, excited thing about people and uh, this publication is we're doing a whole, I'm having my site flushed out right now and revamped. So look for a lot of content. But if you want to join an interactive community, come to Facebook.com. You go to Facebook.com forward slash Black Reigns. We have over 20,000 followers there. The same with Instagram and Twitter. You can follow us at, at Black Reigns Mag. And come join the community. You will find out a lot about African Americans and their impact in the equestrian community, farm, ranch, all things equestrian. Uh, so we would love to have you to come join in the conversation. It's open. Uh, 75% of my followers are white, and most people are shocked by that. Uh, but uh, one thing we all have in common, and that's the horse. We love it, and we love each other, and it's one loving community. Come in, join, bring your comments. We would love to hear from you. And we're going to get to meet you at some point, one of these days. We are. <laughs> we are. Anytime you're on the um, come over. I know Jamie, when she comes back to Atlanta, we do lunch or something. There you go. So yeah, sure. That sounds good. You two will be quite a pair. I want to see that picture. She's also five oh, two. That's gonna be so funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so funny. It is. It is. <laughs> Thank you, Stanford. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Stanford. At any time, any time you guys want me to come on, just shoot me a text and we'll make it happen. All right. All take right. care. Looking Thanks, forward to the next right, guest. Take care. All right. Have a good evening. 
If only I'd have stayed in Atlanta for more than three hours last time. I yes, <laughs> you need to see Stanford sometime. I saw a video of him doing an interview with a bunch of cowboys, and Stanford with his cowboy hat is probably seven foot two. So these and cowboys that ride Bronx and stuff tend to be shorter. They're not real tall, a lot of them. So it it was a sight to see him. He he did power over everybody in the interview. Uh, he says he's quite a sight when he gets out of his Porsche in the community uh, with his oh, cowboy shit. hat and his cowboy boots. <laughs> I bet he is. What a nice guy, though. I'm glad we met him years ago. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate you joining us during the silly times and the serious conversations that we have here. We try and have both, uh, but we try and do them in a respectful way, and we hope you appreciate that. Now, uh, remember, I have a dilemma that I'll try to just give you the auditors after the show just a few minutes of it because I know we've run really long, okay. and y'all are probably... They'll yeah. listen. They want to hear what you... They love your dilemmas. <laughs> Oh, this is a tough one. It's a tough one. Not going to lie, but I can't talk about it on the show because Glenn won't let me. (laughs) I don't even know what it is, and I won't let her. So there you go. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you all. uh, Tomorrow is Fox Hunting Day, and then on Friday, we'll do some really bad ads. So look for it then. Bay Neuter Geld. (laughs) 